Joseph, more than any other character, comes up in our house uh, as a topic of conversation. Uh, we think about how Joseph would handle things. Um, in our house, uh, WWJD uh, is it's what would Joseph do? Uh, is what we think about a lot. I'm just kidding. Uh, but this, this passage starts at the end of Genesis 39, and it goes through the end of Genesis 40. I'm going to summarize what happens in this, this passage. It's a lot of verses, so we're not going to read all the verses. We're only going to read a few. Um, you know, I, it's the kind of thing where there's so much here because it's such a large passage. We're going to preach the forest and not preach the trees. So we're not going to get into all the individual details of the story. I wish we could break it down in that way. Uh, but if we did, uh, this, this, there's so much to this story. It would, this sermon series would last until uh, July of 2022. Uh, but we're going to spare you that. So we're going to just preach uh, uh, the forest. And so a couple of points I want to highlight in this passage. Uh, being God's favor. In Joseph's ministry. Those two things I want you to remember. God's favor. In Joseph's ministry. In this passage at the beginning of it. At the end of 39. Joseph is thrown into prison. For a crime he didn't commit. I want to just stop right there. And let you know that if you think the Bible is boring. Then you don't read your Bible. If you think the Bible is boring, you don't read your Bible. There is a hit show that's about to come out uh, that, that would probably, I think it'll be number two uh, behind This Is Us uh, in, in best shows on TV. About a guy who is accused of committing a crime that he doesn't commit. For those of you who just missed that real quick, I just slid that in and let you know that This Is Us is the best show on TV. Okay? That one's free. Uh, there's also a, a, a movie that just came out, a very good movie, starring Jamie Foxx and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Again, uh, a story of a, a, a guy who is thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And people might see that and think, oh, uh, Jamie Foxx, Joseph is like Jamie Foxx. No, Jamie Foxx is like Joseph. Uh, this is the Bible is where it starts. And so Joseph is thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. He is in prison. And the Bible lets us know that while he's working in the prison, he comes along two guys uh, who are the chief cupbearer and the chief baker for the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt. And so he notices one day that they're sad. And so he stops and says, hey, guys, what's going on? Why are y'all so sad? And they said, well, we each had a dream, and we don't know what our dreams mean. So the uh, baker, the cupbearer rather, the cupbearer brings his dream to Joseph first, and he, he tells Joseph his dream. And so Joseph said, your dream basically means, I'm paraphrasing, that uh, you, you are going to be restored to your former position. I know you've been thrown in jail, but it's going to be okay. Uh, you're, you're only going to be in prison, but for so long, you will eventually be restored to your position as the cupbearer of the Pharaoh. And so your life will be spared. And then the, the baker comes to him and says, hey, well, tell my dream too. And he says, well, your dream isn't so good. In your dream, uh, you're going to be, uh, you're going you're gonna to lose your life. Uh, and so he, he and, and so Joseph lets these guys know this is what happens in your dream. This is how it's going to play out. And it did play out the way he said. 
And so at the end of uh, chapter 40, uh, the cupbearer, let me see, the the baker loses his life. The cupbearer is restored. And, but it, but it does let us know at the end that he forgets Joseph. And so this is what happens just to summarize what goes on. Uh, two things I want to draw from this. Again, I wish I could draw out every single thing that happens, but two things we want to draw from this God's favor in Joseph's ministry. Number one, let's, let's look at God's favor. God's favor. Uh, let's look at uh, Genesis 39 verses 20. Verse 20. 20 and 21. Genesis 39. It says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisons prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Uh, This is where I get lost. This is where I read this passage and I'm I'm, I'm a little confused because Joseph is, he's already, uh, his his brothers were thinking about making an attempt on his life. They they, they were thinking about killing him and they said, no, we're not going to kill him. We're going to sell him into slavery. And so he's sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. And then he goes from being sold into slavery to to being thrown into jail for a crime he didn't commit. And the Bible in the midst of this says that God's favor is with him. He's been sold into slavery. Thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And the Bible says that God's favor is with him. That, 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 that doesn't make sense to me. I grew up thinking that favor, God's favor was reflected in good times. And good things happening. And so the question I want to present to you today is, can God's favor and hardship coexist? Can God's favor and trouble coexist? Now, if the verses were talking about how the good times were rolling and the money was coming in and you just got the check in the mail, and by the way, and God's favor was with him, then that would make total sense to me. But Joseph, is, he's, he's, he's been thrown, he's been sold into slavery and thrown into jail for a crime he didn't commit. How is God's favor with him? Another question. Is favor not reflected in the absence of trouble? Is God's favor not reflected in the absence of trouble? Is that, is that not how we know when God's favor is present? When good things are happening? When things are bountiful and, and, and good and, 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 and we're having parties and celebrating this and that and and, and, and money, all of our money is good. Is that not how we know that God's favor is present? When we, uh, growing up in the, 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 the old Baptist church I grew up in, uh, I grew up in an old, uh, old, old Baptist church. It was about, uh, I want to say no more than 70 or 80 people. 
And there was a saying, when somebody asked you how you were doing, here's what you didn't do in those days. You didn't actually tell them how you were doing. You weren't honest about what was actually going on in your life. You would say uh, a couple of different things. You would say, oh, I'm doing blessed. Blessed. Oh, how you doing? Blessed. That was your, that was your response 365 days out of the year. Or you would say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. Not just favored. Highly favored. When people say they're highly favored, I know you have a Baptist background. Oh, I'm doing, oh, how you doing today, Derek? Oh, blessed and highly favored. Highly favored. What does that mean? It means that my, uh, indirectly, it basically means if I say I'm highly favored, what I'm trying to tell you is, or what they were trying to, trying to tell you, uh, that my bank account has plenty in it. That my car is working just fine and that my refrigerator is full and the freezer in the garage is too. But something we need to learn about favor, we are taught in Genesis 15 when God is talking to Abraham. Well, before I even tell you what God says to Abraham, it would help to know that Abraham is a very rich man. I don't mean he's just a rich man. He is a very rich man. In Genesis 13, when the Bible talks about, uh, uh, Genesis 13 and 2, when the Bible refers to Abraham being rich, it doesn't just say he's rich. It says he's very rich. Uh, when his, I, I, I've seen some studies recently, and those studies showed that if Abraham's riches translated into our day and time, Abraham would have been a billionaire. Particularly because of the livestock that he had and the silver and gold that he possessed. And if Abraham lived during this time, he would probably be a billionaire. This is a man who has no shortage of flocks, herds, silver, gold, servants and maids, camels and donkeys. A billionaire, a billionaire close to it if he were living today. And yet God makes this interesting statement in Genesis 15. God tells Abraham, a man who is filthy, stinking rich, God tells him, I am your great and mighty reward. To a man who has unlimited wealth, God says, I am your reward. The sheep aren't your reward. I am. The, 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 the livestock isn't your reward. The gold and silver that you have is not your reward. I am. And so God was letting uh, Abraham know that Abraham's favor is seen not in the wealth that he possesses, but in God's presence. Favor defined as generosity showing approval. Kindness or generosity showing approval. And so God was letting Abraham know. The sign of my favor on your life, Abraham, the telltale sign of my favor on your life, Abraham, is not all of the things that you possess. Not that I gave you livestock, but that I gave you me. God's favor is proven in his presence. And so that dispels the myth that I grew up believing that God's favor 
the telltale sign of God's favor was in good things happening. God's favor is proven in his presence. God's favor is not reflected in circumstance, but in his presence. God's favor is not reflected. Ultimately, it's not that you can't have those things and have God's favor, but those things aren't the tale of God's favor. God's favor is not reflected in money, but in his presence. God's favor is not reflected in a 401k, but in his presence. Success doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. If success were the telltale sign of God's favor, then success means that God is pleased with you, and it doesn't. God's favor is not in the, not always in the absence of trouble. And so knowing this, it is possible to have cancer and be drenched in God's favor. It is possible to be in prison as Joseph is, to be facing hardship and be completely surrounded by God's favor. It is possible to lose your job and still yet the favor of God be with you. It is possible to lose a family member and God's favor be with you. It is possible to face trouble and hardship and God's favor be with you. The the tale of Joseph's favor, of God's favor with Joseph, is played out in that God is with Joseph. Very simple, that God is with Joseph. The Bible says in Genesis 39 and 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39 and 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Genesis 39 and 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. We see as we walk through this, it is evident that despite the fact that Joseph is facing the most difficult time of his whole life, God's favor is still with him. God's favor is like, I would would say it's it's not like salad dressing, it's like salt. You can can look at salad and and see that that salad dressing is on it. Uh, But God's favor, I would say it's like salt. You can't really, uh, unless your cholesterol is really high, you shouldn't be able to look at the the dish and see the salt on it. Uh, My father believes you should see it. Uh, that's That's why I have a problem today. But God's favor is like salt. You can't look at someone's life and tell that God's favor is with them. When about, I want to say about 12 to 15 years ago, I made an attempt at my own life. I was homeless and living in my car. And I tried to take my life because I believed, because I grew up believing that according to what I had been taught, that God's favor couldn't be with me. That I, that I couldn't be surrounded by God's favor. Because if I was, I wouldn't be living in my car. And so I put a gun in my mouth and pulled the trigger. The 
The Bible says not only is God's favor with Joseph, it says in verse 20, 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Despite the fact that Joseph has been enslaved, he is now in prison for a crime he didn't commit. It says that God is showing him, God is presently showing him steadfast love. The word, when it talks about steadfast love, that, that word, uh, it is this term steadfast love. It is not only referred to in the Old Testament, but also in the New. Uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, uh, hesed. In the Greek, uh, the New Testament, hadrails, uh, it basically means the same thing that his, his favor hasn't moved. The word hadrails, uh, steadfast love, it actually means seated. This idea that God's love, that God's love is seated, hasn't moved. Joseph's life is going like this. But God's love for him is going like this. God has loved him no more when he was in prison than when he's on top. The other thing I want you to see about this story is Joseph's ministry. Let's look at Joseph's ministry. Uh, Genesis 40, starting at verse 5. It says in... And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and his dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it uh, budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Joseph's cup was in, uh, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches of three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. This is Joseph's ministry. Joseph, uh, to me, this is the biggest moment in Joseph's entire life. This moment where Joseph is facing trouble, but yet he's able to help someone and minister to someone who is in trouble. Have you ever been in trouble, but yet helped someone who was in trouble? Have you ever been facing hard times, but yet helped someone who was facing hard times? Living for God in community with others is like this. This idea, this is, this is what we have to be able to do as, as believers who live in community with other, other believers. We have to be able to be in trouble, 
but yet help others who are in trouble. Joseph would miss, and if, and if Joseph had been me, if, if, if I had been Joseph in this story, I probably would have missed it. Joseph does not miss the biggest moment of his life. Why does he not miss it? Because even when he is in trouble, he doesn't put his head down and just focus on his own trouble. He is still ready to help someone else. Living for God in community with others is like playing basketball. I'm going to show you why. When I went to a a little league game, uh, it was... uh, this guy who goes to our church, this couple who goes to our church, asked me to come see uh, their, their their little boy play. And so I went to the game. And the little boy, gosh, I want to say he's, maybe say he's six, seven years old, seven, seven years old. And so you, this is Red League, seven-year-olds. So you can imagine the level of mastery uh, at the sport that, that, that is on display here at the rec center in Lexington. And so I'm watching the game. And so this is the little kid is playing defense on his man, uh, but they were all they were all they all played defense the same way. This is how they play defense. If this is their man, this is how little kids guard their man. This is how they do it. Whether they have the ball or not, this is how little kids guard their man. This little kid, I mean, he was just zeroed in on his man, hands out. Kid, the guy didn't even have the ball. The ball was over here. And his, it was so funny because the kid had it at the top and he passed it to a teammate down low. And so the teammate scored. And this kid who's playing defense on his man had no clue. He had no clue that he is no longer supposed to be on defense. And the only reason he knew that the kid scored and that it was time to go back down there is because his man went back down there. And so I was like, oh, I guess we're going. <laughs> Had his man not moved, he would, the, the ball would have been scored, would have been going to the other end, and he would have just been right here. This is how little kids play defense. But so, but this is how you know, this is, this is what you would call basketball immaturity, right? So, because that's not the way you're supposed to play defense. Okay? I don't know if the Saluda uh, coach of... Coach Lou's basketball team is here or not. Uh, but this little tidbit that I'm about to give you is not only going to help you in life, but if Lou's basketball coach were here, they would win a championship. They'd win the state championship if he just knew this. This is how you play defense. Shows basketball maturity. When your man is right here, that you're not doing what they call face guarding. That you are, you kind of, you, you play it off them. Because if the ball's over here, Here's what you have to be able to do. You have to be able to, if someone's getting scored on, if my teammate's getting scored on, I have to be able to move over and help. And so this is good defense. Ball's over here. My man's over here. I'm in a position to help, but I'm still in a position to get to my man. Because basketball maturity teaches us that it is not... All, it's not all about my man. It is not all about my man. This is what basketball maturity teaches us. It's not all about my man. It's about my neighbor. I have to be in a position to where I can guard my man, but I still know what's going on with him too. 
The same thing that is a sign of basketball immaturity is also a sign of spiritual immaturity. That when you face God, your life like this. When you're mature in, in a basketball sense, you can you know when your neighbor is about to get scored on. You know, you know when your teammate is about to get beat. That's a sign of basketball maturity. I know, I, I can see what's going on with him over there. I, this is my life, but I can see what's going on. I can see what's going on with him too. And so I know when he's about to get scored on. Most people, when hard times set in, they don't see what's going on with their neighbor. Joseph, despite the fact that he is in trouble, he is not just singularly focused on his life. He is what he is in what they call a position of help. That in the and I forget the verse. He asked the guys. He saw that they were down, and he said, "Hey, what's going on with you guys? Why are y'all down?" And it's, but he had every reason to do this. He has been enslaved, and he's been thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. But yet he is not focused on his own life. And he is in a position to be used by God. And he does not miss the biggest moment of his life. If he doesn't handle this moment correctly in the prison, he'll never stand before Pharaoh. And the only reason he stands before Pharaoh is because he handles this moment correctly. Joseph has trouble, but still notices when his teammate is in trouble. Philippians 2 and 4, he says, well, pastor, that, you know, is, is that scriptural? I would say yes. Uh, Philippians 2 and 4 says this. Look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. So this, this is how we live for God. This is the position that we live for God. This is how we defend the enemy. This is how we defend the enemy. I know what's going on. Now I don't now this is what you don't do. I don't I don't focus in on just my life and what's going on with me, but then I don't just sell out and go over here and miss what's going on at home. But I'm in the middle. I'm in a position where I can act on both. People who are spiritually mature don't do this. They're right here in the middle. Philippians 2 and 4. Look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. I can see both. If your neighbor was in trouble, here's how you know you're in good, you're, in, you're playing good defense against the enemy. And you're being a good teammate to the others that are on your team, God's team. If your neighbor was in trouble, do you know it? Do you realize when your brother or sister needs help? Or are you so solely focused on your trouble that like that little kid I went to go see, he didn't even realize when his teammate was getting scored on. Is it possible that your neighbor is getting scored on and you don't even know it? That your brother or sister in Christ is getting scored on? That the person sitting next to you is getting is getting scored on over and over by the enemy? That the enemy is having his way with the person next to you. Would you know? If you were in good, if you were in the right position like Joseph is, you would know. 
Those guys don't come to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, I'm having a bad day. Can you help me? Joseph says, because he is paying attention. Hey, what's going on with y'all? He notices that they're in trouble. When we exercise good spiritual maturity, we notice when others are in trouble. See, you, you guys are a good group of people and, and, and you're full of God's love. So if I were the devil, uh, if I didn't want you to help somebody, using hatred to a person who, whose heart is full of God's love, that's not really a good way for me to get you not to help them. Okay, so if I, if I wanted you to not help Trey, then if your heart's full of God's love, you're not going to not help Trey because you have hatred in your heart. But what can happen, you can be full of God's love, but just solely focus on your situation. Are you face guarding your life? Or are you aware of what's going on of those around you? Uh, it, it scares me. Sometimes I think, man, if I were Joseph, would I have missed this? Would I have missed my great opportunity because I just had my head down? I, sometimes I think if this were me and I would have seen the cover, if I would have seen those guys, oh, I probably wouldn't have even seen them because I probably would have just been walking through the prison singing, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And I would have missed the fact that these two guys, that my next blessing was tied up in me being cognizant that my neighbor is getting scored on. Second Corinthians 2 and 6 says this, that we are servants of God. Servants of God. That word servants, when it says servants of God, another word that could be used there is minister of God. Another word that could be used there in saying that we're servants of God is basically saying that we're waiters and waitresses of God. It's this idea that we that we are to serve God. Uh, I, a good waiter. Let me tell you something about a good waiter. I once, me and Tessa once left a restaurant. This only happened once. We once left a restaurant because, this is how seriously also I take sweet tea. We once left a restaurant because the lady came and poured my tea. And, and so, obviously, you know, I love tea. So, just as is customary for me, I drank it in about uh, six or seven seconds. And so, my glass is now empty. It was about 20 minutes that my empty glass sat on the table. 20 minutes. She hadn't taken our order. And my empty glass sat on the table. She had no idea that for 20 minutes my glass was empty. A good waiter knows when your glass is empty. A good waitress knows when your glass is empty. And so as we are servants, 2 Corinthians 6, as we are servants of God, waiters and waitresses of God, have you realized that your neighbor's glass is empty? If, 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 the, person, if the person living next to you, if their glass were empty, would you know it? If the person in the cubicle next to you at work, if their glass was empty, if their spiritual glass was slam empty, would you know it? 
If the person sitting next to you right now, if their glass, if their spiritual glass were completely empty, would you know it? This is how people end up. I saw it where, I've seen this so many times where, where, where I knew a guy who hung himself. Hung himself. And the neighbor, I didn't know the guy who hung himself personally, but I knew the neighbor. The neighbor had no clue. The neighbor had no clue. And this is how this happens. Part of Joseph is blessed by God and is used by God because the glass of the cupbearer and the baker is empty. And Joseph, because he's a good waiter, he notices. And God wants to use all of us in this way. But we have to, as being good teammates, notice when the glasses of people around us are empty. I'm going to tell you this and I'll be done. Uh, People, when, when we think of great people, whether it is Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln, uh, Mother Teresa, they're not known. They're not known for how many points they scored. They're not known for how much, uh, how much money they had. Great people are known because of the way they helped. The reason uh, Mother Teresa is so celebrated, or, or Martin Luther King, is because Martin Luther King says this, and it shows that he was in good help side position. He said this: "Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." Because he went over, he was in India, and and he was helping people in India fight racial injustices. And they asked him, it's like, you have injustice. They said, Martin Luther King, why are you going to India fighting racial injustices? You have injustices at home. Why are you sliding over fighting racial injustices in India? And this was his response. And it showed that he was was in the middle. Great people, no matter who you can name, if they are really great, they're known because of the way they helped. And if God is going to use you, it is because of the way you can help. God, how can I help? How can I help? Not what can I be, not how much money can I make. God, how can I help? If you can, if you can get God to tell you that, if you can realize that, the realization of that will be the key to your life. Joseph realizes how he can help and it changes not only his life, but his kid's life and, and, and the what would be the, the people of God going forward. I would, I would urge you, I would urge you, strongly urge you to not be like that little kid who didn't even know that his teammate was scored on. And if that's you in this room and you're just solely focused on trouble in your life, just slide over. Just slide over. Take the time to to invite your neighbor to to lunch. Take the time to invite that person that you uh, haven't spoken to 
or keep walking by every day at work. Take the time to have a conversation with them. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your blessings and I thank you for I thank you for what you do in our lives. God, I thank you for your favor. That your favor is not only realized in, in, in good times, but that we know your favor by your presence. So God, I ask that you would be with us all. God, help us to be good teammates. Being in trouble, having trouble, is not an excuse to focus on what's going on with you and not not help anybody else. So God, help us to help us to slide over just a little bit and be aware of what's going on with our neighbor. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.